balance of love and judgment. How many of you know that married folk fuss from time to time? Let me say it again. How many of you know that married folk fuss all the time? I mean, from time to time. There you go. If you take a positive and put it with the negative, you figure out which one it is. You're going to get some fire. Did you know that? If you get something that doesn't have any fire, there's not a whole lot of life. Some people see, okay, God is just a God of love. Oh, it's just love, love, love. God of love. God wouldn't do that. He's a God of love. And we know that right now, don't mistake love for mercy and compassion. All right? Mercy and compassion. God's loaded up with that right now. This is the dispensation of extended mercy. Why hasn't Jesus returned? We know very well why he hasn't returned, because he's waiting for one more, just one more to come into the kingdom of God. That's why he says to the church, go everywhere. Scream, shout, deliver in whatever means that you can to tell people to get things right with their Redeemer, to come to faith. That's the responsibility of the church. It's not just to enjoy the music and get into the praise and in the worship. He says, when you get out there, be a person that delivers, that you deliver the goods to lost people than telling them about Jesus. Peter talks up, Peter comes across, James comes across them brother of Jesus, of course, in his writings, and he's pretty pointed. But in 2 Peter, Peter really begins to nail it down to. And tonight, the message, the balance of love and judgment, I, um, I, w- I want you to just think about with me for a moment uh, the things that are delivered out of the Word and see how it resonates uh, with you. Um, <clears throat> our world is, uh, is more sinful today The manifestation of sin is greater than it's ever been. I believe that. I see all the stats, all the results. Sin has a manifestation. And our society is more blind to the truth than it's ever been. Number one, they don't want to see the truth. Number two, the Bible says that they're blind from the truth, except they desire to reach out to the Redeemer, and to the Lord Jesus Christ. So we know that that is extremely important to remember. And yet, there is more truth being shared now more than ever than in all times. So people are getting farther away from the truth, and yet there's more truth being preached today around the world by as many means as possible than ever, and yet the world seems to turn, and it's scriptural, a deaf ear to it. Darkness, that is, I mean depravity. Darkness seems to be more prevalent today than ever. You pick the newspaper up and you read what's going on. You, you t- take place what happened in London, how, how a person can kill innocent people, how another can get in a taxi and take a machete and just take the machete to that taxi Uber driver, I guess, and just another step beyond recognition. And on and on, what, what precipitates that? It's lawlessness. It is a lack of conscience. It's a lack of truth that is there. And darkness seems to prevail. Why is that? There seems to be a disregard for godliness. I mean, godliness, what does that mean? Walk circumspect before the Lord. 
Godliness means, hey, I don't, I don't spew out curse words. Godliness says, I'm, I'm going to prefer my brother. Godliness says, I want my garments to be pure. Godliness says, I want to live publicly the way that I live privately, and vice versa. There's a disregard for the truth. Unfortunately, people say, uh, no, no, can't, can't testify here. You know, I, I prefer my rights, not going to tell the truth. There's a disregard for marriage vows, so we just don't even get married. There are many are led by their own lust and self-centered desires. There's an appetite for lukewarm Christianity. If culture dictates the type of discipline for the church today, then my friend, we are in trouble. There's an attitude of being served rather than serving. You give to me what I want, and maybe I'll give you consideration. There's a spirit of greed and pride, and there's a passion fueled by the flesh, not by the Holy Spirit. When you put all of that in context, how do we know that? Because the manifestation of the depravity of a mind that has gone awry and a culture that has virtually no spiritual conscience. If you take a look at Europe, if you go to places in Europe and you think Amsterdam, that you can walk along the street, not in a ruined area of the street, not in a down and out area, but an area that's not too many blocks from the airport, and you can see prostitute after prostitute standing in the window, and it's perfectly okay. Pay what you want to, go in, pick you prostitute out, and it's perfectly legal, no problems with it. No guilt, none of that. How is that possible? Because the enemy has lied and lied and lied, and some cultures, an American culture, is swallowing it hook, line, and sinker. Most people in the comedian world today, as comedians on television today, are as filthy and foul-mouthed as they can possibly be. And yet people listen to it over and over and over and over again. And if you stand up and you don't go with that culture, then you are warped. I hear the reports of school teachers, of what many of them have to put up with in many of the public schools of those students that come parading in there. I see many who need help dealing with drug addictions and other addictions in their lives. I deal with the dysfunction of our children, many of them coming from broken homes and dysfunctional families. They, they don't know where they're going to be on Friday night, Saturday night, whether they're going to be with this one, that one, or the other one. They don't know that. There is no safety and security there. I see the hollowness in the eyes of you who need love, and they're going to find love somewhere. And their peer pressure and their cultural pressure says this is what love looks like. There she is. There he is. I see the stress of families sacrificing and working more and more so they can have more and more. And I ask the question, more of what? More of what? And then those things that I've described, we find that is a simple result of a Christian nation. I'm talking America. The simple result of a Christian nation, America, that is no longer stat-wise considered to be a Christian nation has lost its desire, I mean, to totally sacrifice and serve God. I see many in our church today in the churches that do not have a backbone to stand for the truth. 
I had a pastor friend tell me the other day that he talked to a group of young leaders pastoring churches, and they said, we give no altar calls. We do not talk about holiness. We do not talk about the baptism of the Spirit. We do not talk about, we don't give an altar call so that people will come forward. We just simply ask you to bow your heads. We have preachers in pulpits today that dare not talk about sin and hell for fear of what some response might be out of those in the congregation. We have a desire to establish absolutes. Uh, we used to have a desire to establish absolutes on the Bible. Now we establish absolute on man-made laws, and we fail to seek God on a consistent basis for godly direction. Amen. Where do we land? Where do we land? John said in 1 John 2 verse 15, do not love the world. What is that? Don't love the culture or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does comes not from the Father, but from the world. He says the world and its desires pass away, but the man who does the will of God lives forever. Don't ever be ashamed of your testimony to take a stand when it relates to the Word of God and live your life by this book and not by the persuasion of the culture in which we live today. If you do, we're going to miss it a country mile. Point one, our God is just, and He will call sin into account. Just. That word just does not mean fair. If God were fair, we in America would be in trouble because he'd have to bring in the poor swallows of, of India and Africa and all the places of that Romania and all those starving and the little bony kids who haven't had a square meal in days and no water whose hands shake and their fingers, you can see the skeletal bones sticking out of the skin. If God were fair, he'd take care of that and take some of the stuff away that we enjoy and give it to them if God were fair. But God said, I'm a just God. That scripture that we often overlook, to whom much is given, much is required. Think about that. To much is given, much is required. If you have been given and you are blessed and you have received favor, God said, I'm not just throwing it so you can shovel it away. I'm giving whatever it is that I give you the favor for you to put it to good use, for you to put it to use to touch the lives of others. The Bible says in 2 Peter God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment. Peter has struck a warning in this contemporary society in which we live, and he's preaching directly to the heart of the culture in which we live. 
He is warning the church about false teachers. Can I tell you that often the teacher that is most fault is the subtle influence of the culture in which we live. It's not a person. It's not a body. But it is a theme that comes from the pit of hell. And it's that subtle influence, that false teacher that is there that says discipline and commitment and sacrificing and serving is only for the weak of mind. And yet we know that Jesus flat-footedly stands before us and says, hey, if you want to be the follower that's going to please me, deny yourself and take up your cross. And let's go together. Ungodly influence. He's warning the church. He's warning the church of subtle lies and satanic influence. All of the above is for one purpose. It's to trap and destroy any person that loves God. And there are no exceptions. All of us happen to be the target of the enemy. If the enemy can have a situation in your life that is aggravating, that constantly rubs you, that constantly endeavors to put pressure on you, that constantly tries to wear you out, some little fox that's there that it's hard for you to to get a breath, you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to get you to the place that you give up, you back away from your commitment, and then you begin to make decisions that seem to solve your problem temporarily but does not align with the glory of God. May I suggest to you that there are those that went to prison that faced the lion's dens, that faced the fiery furnaces who would not give up because they'd rather die being faithful to God than saying, give me temporary relief out of this situation. The church needs to stop being crybabies. Why don't you welcome our online audience? We love you guys out there. Amen. To destroy, Peter reveals that you and I are the targets. What will it take to get you to get sour? What will it take to get you to be attitudinal as it relates to negative? What will it take for you to complain more than you're praising? What what will it take for you to feel, not feel the joy of the Lord anymore and just give up? And say at one time I gave it my best shot, but nobody cared. What is it that the enemies corralled you on? That you don't feel the fluid flow of the Holy Spirit in your life. And you look, let me suggest to you, look in the mirror, my friend. Because no person gets in those conditions without giving their spirit man and their carnal nature permission to feel that way. When a person gives in to what I call an ungodly fantasy or evil desire, he or she becomes mesmerized by satanic influence. Flesh and lust begin to control the thought life. Flesh and lust, you're you're talking about sex. No, I'm talking about flesh, the things the flesh enjoys, pleasure, those kind of lust, the lust for power, the lust for control, the lust to win, the lust for personal pleasure that it's all about you. And when that person gets in that kind of shape, because that's the mindset of our culture in which we live, 
It's lust and pleasure. Whatever moves you. As Solomon says, I, I had an opportunity to see and have it all. The other is that a culture gets to the place that it cannot recognize the truth and gets to the place that they cannot tell the difference between right and wrong. There's a fine line between right and wrong, not a large gray chasm. This is right, that's wrong. Amen? He rationalizes improper behavior into being acceptable behavior. You get involved in improper decisions, improper behavior, and before long, it'll be a way of life that is acceptable, and you won't even think about it, and neither will your conscience challenge you. The culture's lifestyle begins to accommodate the sinful way. And then the culture lives with lies in its heart. Do you think the average citizen on Ameri in America today is afraid to even think about the second or the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the majority of the culture today living and breathing among a 35-year-old person, they've never even heard of the rapture of the church? They're not concerned about a soon return of our Savior. They're not concerned about any of that. They're just enjoying their lives. And messages like this one tonight often is never heard. When you come to that realization, Peter says, when these people get so blind they wander away from God into a ditch of despair and they become presumptuous, meaning that they believe that God will not judge them. As a matter of fact, they don't know that God will judge because God is just love. How many of you know what judgment feels like? Sure we do. If you speed and you get caught, that's judgment with a blue light behind you. 2 Peter 2.19 says, they promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. And this culture today has mastered far too many people into a sleep spiritually. What happens? There are two absolutes that are identified when that person gets into that place and that culture. One, God removes his covering of protection. How do you feel about that? God says, you don't want to be under the umbrella? You, you don't want my guidance? You don't, you don't want my wisdom? You, you want to be rebellious? You see, the only guarantee you have in Scripture of God's protection is when you're living under the umbrella of the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why as parents, your children, when they get rebellious, 
as long as they are accountable to you, are living under your umbrella of protection. But when they get to the place that say, I'm cutting the ties, I'm no longer under your protection, I don't want to be around you, and they walk away, God says, all right, you want to be on your own. Don't presume. Don't presume that I'm going to intervene. That's what the world doesn't hear because God is love. How could God let that happen? Here's the other. God will judge the sinner unless repentance is called. And I'm not talking about this panty-waisted repentance. I'm talking about true repentance means change. I'm redeemed. What's changed? I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. What's changed? I love God. What's changed? Not much. Then that's shallow, a shallow faith that will not stand up when you need God most. How do we know the example of judgment? He lists it right here. He says, Peter says, I want to tell you, in Noah's day, there were only eight saved. He lists it. Eight saved. The clarion call went out. They called Noah nuts, crazy, told him everything under the sun. It had not rained. Water came from the ground up. And here he is building an ark. But out of the whole time that Noah would do his carpenter work, building his ship and sharing the news, only eight out of the whole planet in that day were saved. Eight. In Lot's day, another example, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot survived. Just Lot. What happened? They fit the description that I shared with you. They weren't afraid with judgment. Every sin that you could possibly imagine was practiced during that day in Sodom and Gomorrah. Nobody cared. There was no church. Lot was awry, and out of God's grace, because of Abraham, the Lord intervened for him. You're going to destroy the whole city? What about my nephew, Lot? 2 Peter 2.6. And it says, and he made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. So God is a just God, and he will call sin into account. <coughs> Number two, our God is just, and he will preserve the believer. 2 Peter 2, 9, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. You see, we know that judgment is coming, but what God did with the rebellious angels, in other words, he said, if he didn't spare the angels when they sin, what kind of hope you think there is for you when you continually sin? He placed them in a gloomy dungeon to be held for judgment. I think judgment is at the door 
of our world. I believe God is preparing to come back. I believe that judgment, it says, let judgment begin at the door of the church. I believe that judgment may be for some of you listening now on whatever means of communication is just one knock on the door away. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. He's not talking to unbelievers in that scripture. He's speaking to those that are professing believers. Stand at the door, I'm knocking. If you'll open the door, I'll come in and fellowship with you. That's not written. We use it, and it's good, it could be applicable, but the original reason was, hey, I'm knocking on your door. 1 Peter 4.18, and if it's hard for the righteous to be saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? If the righteous barely save, what will happen? We understand that. Yet, he says in Revelations 2, 4, and 5, I've got this against you. You've forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did first. If you do not repent, here's an answer, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. You want to give up? You want to quit? You want to get lazy? You want to become apathetic? Is that what you're looking for? For God to say, hey, I'm wasting a whole lot of oil in the lamp on you. I'm wasting a whole lot of time on you because you won't ever get it right. And if I come to the conclusion, as your loving Heavenly Father is your judge, it's time to move the lampstand out of you. Let me go give it to someone who appreciates what it means to have the presence of God in their house. Let me take it away from a church and put it in a church who appreciates the presence of the Lord. Don't forget how high you were, how much in love, what passion you had, and now you've disregarded that. Oh, you became weary in well-doing. Oh, you've got a lot of reasons why you're not like you used to be. God is saying, hey, I'm paying attention. Notice something very important. He always preserves and protects the believer. And notice that because of sin and its influence, we also must participate in that preservation. He tells us not to give up to temptation by pointing our finger at people who sin. I get a little nervous when I hear a person all the time talking about what other people are doing and the sin that they're in. I get a little weary of that. Oh, but pastor, you just don't, hallelujah. The best advice that the word of God gives is do not judge. Don't judge. Here's what he says. He says, don't point your finger. Then you allow anger because you can't see it until it's manifested. Then you allow resentment. Then you allow bitterness that finds a place in your heart. But you look holy. So he says, look out. Peter says, God's spirit of conviction and judgment will give an opportunity for repentance. How important is it for us to remain humble and committed if nobody showed up? Sharon and I learned that in the very first church. I've told you hundreds of times when there was no one there on Wednesday night. Why did we have church? 
because that church had church on Wednesday night. And we were the leaders. It was more important for us to be faithful to what God called us to than how many showed up or the lack thereof. How important is that? We humble. Peter says if we fall, it's more difficult to get deliverance next time. What do you mean by that? Well, let's read 2 Peter 2.21. He said it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. If you remain in a wayward journey away from the passion that you once had, which step will it be until God says the lampstand is about to go? You've given yourself permission to get in that condition. And he says, listen, that person who at one time was just really on fire and for them to turn around and just walk away and say, I've had enough of the church, enough of the preacher. I've heard all his messages. I've had enough of them taking offerings. I've had enough of them having Circle J. I've had enough of it. I am fed up with church. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. And you turn and walk away. You know what he said? It would have been better for that person to have never known that way. Why? Because now you're too smart for your own good. Too smart for your own good. You know all the ins and outs. And you know why that's true? When you do not have a passion and a freshness of Jesus Christ every day, things get stale. But his love and his blessings are new and fresh every day. Y'all with me out there? It's new and fresh every day. So Paul shares the answer and says, stay strong and give us the formula for deliverance. Give us that formula. 1 Corinthians 10, 12. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Say amen. amen. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. He said, I'm your answer. Thirdly, our God is just. Follow him. He's just. 2 Peter 3.11, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. What does that mean to you? To live a holy, godly life. When you're living a holy, godly life, and that's in your repertoire, that's the agenda of your life, you won't have to worry about the temptation of culture. Because the guide of the Holy Spirit will dictate to you, this is what a godly person, this is what a holy person looks like. Understanding that, in the midst of an ungodly world, Peter shares with us some good instruction. And he says, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, as some understand slowness. 
He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a what? A thief. The heavens will disappear with the roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything, and it will be laid bare. And since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. You ought to live holy, godly lives. So wrapping it up, don't be ignorant and don't give up on God's timeline. And remember that God is not deaf and God is not too far away that he doesn't have an exact moment with which he's going to move on you and your family and your business with his promise. A day to him is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. He's got you under control. Number two, God will produce his promise a blessing or judgment. Number three, God is patient with us if we repent. Next, God will appear with judgment like a thief. Another life as you know it now will be destroyed. That's what he said. Then Peter declares, if you believe all of the above, you should live a holy life, a godly life, and be able to pray this moment, come Lord Jesus. I'm doing what I need to do. Our God is a just God. He loves you more than life. And may we love him enough to say, I'm sorry, God. I want to get closer, closer, closer than I've ever been. God is a God of love, but he is a God of justice. And he is long-suffering. And if you're grateful for that, say amen. Amen. Would you stand? Heavenly Father, we thank you. We applaud you. We praise you. We worship you. We're here. This is not wasted time and wasted space. You're doing meticulous surgery on the heart of a lot of people tonight. You're doing something supernatural in the heart of some. Some you're increasing and encouraging their faith. Some you're absolutely convicting them and calling them into a a life of repentance. You're calling on them, Father God, to just stand straight up. God, not look to the right, not look to the left, but look straight into the face of Jesus Christ. And God, if there's any sin among us, in Jesus' name, forgive us. And when we say, Lord, I repent, let there be a change. If there's something in our life creating habit for us, let us go home and get rid of it. God, if something in our life that is there, God, let us in Jesus' name sanctify it for the love of God. If there are ill feelings in the heart of people toward one another and couples, get rid of it, Father. Let there be a clean, pure slate. Let there be the peace that passes all understanding. If forgiveness is needed, give it. If forgiveness is desired, give it. Father, in your name, we love you. Just in case some of you are here and you need to really let God take over. I want to ask you to simply repeat this prayer. Can we do that? Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus I've sinned. I have sinned. I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. And I need correction. I, need correction. I, believe by faith I believe by faith 
as I pour my heart out to you with a sincere motive that you will forgive me. I am sorry. I need help. So I'm asking you through the power of the Holy Spirit to give me wisdom, to give me guidance, give me a friend in which I can trust. Father God, I believe by faith that tonight is a turning point in my life, in my family, in my heart. So I commit to you all of my heart, every piece of my life, holding nothing back. I lay everything on the altar, and I ask you to sanctify it for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you need healing, if God's speaking to you in your heart, the message is about as straight as it can be. But if you know in the pull of your spirit that you need to respond to the Holy Spirit, to God, in this altar, it represents a place of forgiveness. It is a visible place. Well, can I get forgiveness in the pew? Not here, not right now, because here's the word of the Lord. It's in the altar. It's in the altar. Why is that? Because that's the word of the Lord from the Holy Spirit now. You can't have it your way. Here's how it happens. You submit yourself to Jesus, and you do it right here. As we sing, if you need healing in your body, or you've got a runaway kid, in Jesus' name, put the lasso of the Holy Spirit around their ankle and watch the Holy Spirit drag them back one pull at a time. Amen? He can do it. Let's sing together as you come, as we believe God together. Here we go. Holy Spirit, come and fill this place. Bring your healing and your on you, friend. God. 
I'm going to pray. But please understand, when I pray, this invitation, as it is right now, is going to close. You say, how could you say that? Because the Bible says the Spirit is subject to the prophet. I've delivered the word, I've given the invitation, and the opportunity is there. And if you believe you can pull the time schedule and you create the agenda, you are wrong. Here's what God says. It's now, and who knows, maybe there'll be another opportunity. Don't gamble on that. Don't gamble on that. Take advantage why God speaks to us and allow the Holy Spirit to do what he chooses to do. Let that be so. So we're going to sing it again. Just going to wait on you. And you come right now before I give the benediction. Here we go. One more time. We're waiting on you. Please come. Please be obedient. Please be obedient. Please in Jesus' name.